plans for my crazy day. My packed commute. All those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Robert Land, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Texans. And I've got a great guest today. Joining me is, you know him as Big Ron on Twitter. It's at BigRon281, and you've probably heard him on State of the Texans. He's a contributor to the State of the Texans site. We love Patrick Starr over there. Always good to have a, a guy from there. And, and Ron, I just want to ask you to start with, because there's all sorts of stuff going on already in the offseason with the Texans. And the first thing that uh, just happened within the last 24, 48 hours is that the Texans have said that they're not going to do training camp this year in Houston. I don't know if you've had a chance to get out to training camp much and, and kind of be a part of all that. But, you know, to me, it's something that I think the fans are, are really going to miss. And, you know, what, what's your just quick take on, on that? What did you think about that? I mean, I understand it. I, I mean, I've as far as myself, I generally have made it a tradition to um, head out to at least one of the open practices every year. I've done that basically the entire time that they've been available to fans. I was just basically been since day one. Um, some years I've attended every open session, um, so forth and so on. So I've been big on you know that access personally. Um, but I mean, then too, I do understand you know, that they would want to possibly relocate, um, mainly due to the, to the temperatures. I don't, I don't know what the discussion is as far as their reasoning for the preference, other than the fact that the temperatures being so high in Houston during the, the beginning of training camp. Um, I, you know, I mean, I, I understand if you want to, if you want to change because of that reason, but I mean, that that to me it just why now um and and you know w- with it being so such a, a big draw for so many fans um i mean of course that that's it it's not ideal from a fan perspective but from a team perspective i mean i, I understand and I'm, I'm i'm always in favor of whatever i try to be supportive of administration on things that they feel like logistically um are are best for the team so i understand it from that standpoint I think they could very well figure out a way to still incorporate a chance for the fans to have that opportunity to be exposed to the team during camp um, at some point, even if the dates change, whatever, because it is a big tradition. It's kind of a big ritual for a lot of fans. I mean, just I'm just used to every year, you know, making that trek out to NRG at like, 435 in the morning just to have a spot in line such that you can get to a seat being there's open seating and so forth um and as one of those fans who doesn't have season tickets um that's one of the you know opportunities you have to be exposed to the team as a fan um that that you know doesn't cost a ton of money or and that gives fans who aren't season ticket holders and aren't able to go to the games the wherewithal to actually have exposure and have access to the team up close so i mean i think it's a big loss 
but I do understand, you know, logistically why the team would do that because the temperatures are ridiculously hot um, the majority of those days dur- during during the early parts of training camp. Yeah, it's always a great scene out there. I've been out there the last two or three years and seen the fans interact with the players, and it's just. It's a great thing. And, you know, the Oilers were never, hardly ever in in the Houston area, their time for training camp. But they were at least in Texas, so you, you could go visit there, but it was a trek. And it's been one of the real neat things, I think, about the Texans is that they have had training camp here in Houston. Another one of the big stories, Ron, that just uh, struck Houston fans, I'm sure Texans fans, when they heard about it, is Bill O'Brien has taken over as the offensive coordinator. He decided to... Uh, or the the team decided to let go of Godsey. I, I don't know if it was his call or not. Uh, that's up for debate. But uh, he wants to be the offensive coordinator, make make the play calls. What did you think when you heard about that? Just frankly, I I, I was not pleased at all. Um, not with the fact of the dismissal of George Godsey, because I'm if if any any of um, your your listeners out there have followed me on Twitter. Uh, which is you know my main outlet for my commentary or thoughts about the Texans. I have been a staunch, staunch critic of George Godsey's play calling. I've called into question what his resume is, his his uh, you know selection as a offensive uh, quarterback coach and elevation offensive coordinator um, throughout. I, I've I've questioned it since his hiring, and so. I was firmly um, behind the position of dismissing him this offseason. However, the, the part that I don't get is we still don't have, other than O'Brien, a seasoned play caller and a, a voice that similar to what Cornell is on defense. And, of course, you're not going to find necessarily anyone just laying out there unemployed that has the type of skins on the wall that Romeo Cornell has defensively. But there is still no voice to offset or to – to challenge or to to equal or rival that of Bill O'Brien. And I believe that, as we've seen in the play calling, which has already been influenced by Bill O'Brien quite quite significantly since Godsey was here, the offense has been very, very poor. I mean, it, it hasn't been mediocre. It's been terrible. And I just don't see uh, that being remedied by dismissing George Godsey and just simply taking over play calling himself, being that uh, himself being O'Brien. I'm not happy with it. I'm not optimistic about it. Um, I'd be willing to, as with anything that's out of my control, I'd be willing to see what the results are, but I'm not expecting anything, any major improvements. And again, I'm, I'm not optimistic. I really was expecting and hoping for uh, an additional voice, an experienced voice uh, to, add some experience, add some versatility, some flexibility to the Texans offense and add some variety, some some contrast to what they had been doing but because clearly it has not been successful. So um that's my feelings on it. I'm 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 not pleased, but again, I mean what am I going to do? I mean, I'm a fan, so it's really out of my control, but not happy about it. What what are the particulars for you that you just didn't care for as far as the offensive play calling? I can tell you for me, one of the things that I, I saw over and over again, I mentioned it on this show many times, but uh, that just the constant first down, they run up the middle. They, the, the misuse of Lamar Miller, the consistent uh, plays of, of running up the middle on first down. There wasn't a lot of variation on what they were doing on first down. 
I, I didn't feel like they utilized some guys as well as they could have. Was there stuff particularly that, that you you kind of kind of drove you crazy about what they were doing? Definitely. I mean, there, there's a few things. One, one that you hit on, not deploying your resources optimally. I mean, I'm watching games screaming for them to run any kind of perimeter plays with Lamar Miller, um, incorporate more outside zone plays, which is part of their offense that is poorly poorly schemed and underutilized. They have offensive linemen who are very, very well-versed in running zone scheme. It's still, again, a part of their scheme because they do it on occasion, but just the you know lead draws and the, the plays in between the guards for Lamar Miller that you know basically, I believe, resulted in a lot of the injuries and a lot of the nicks that he had during the year and then also result, resulted in some poor output for him um, and don't suit his skill set. That's one thing. Um, I, I also believe that there was a lack of tailoring. They, they call it a game plan offense, quote unquote. I'm making the air quotes, a game plan offense. But I, I seldom saw exploitation of what the defense was doing in particular that was a weakness. And many times until it was too late, if at all, um, I, I felt like they ran plays that were not effective in you know in contrast to what the defense was was showing i felt like 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 you mentioned also i think the variety the sequencing of play calls was poor there are many times when you know they would they would run you know three consecutive pass plays that had very little to no chance of success at an area of the field and in a juncture of the game where had they just run three plays would have been a more a more positive result um, I think they had problems getting wide receivers open, getting wide receivers space to work based on route concepts. I mean, there there were many times where I'm calling for rub routes or crossing routes, uh, routes in the middle of the field, uh, different things of that nature where you, you would expect there to be some type of scheming done or some type of diagramming of a play to where you can run some type of, of route combination where you can scheme to have a wide receiver that you know is not able to create separation to be able to have separation based on the scheme, based on the the way the route develops down the field. There's a pick or there's a rub or there's a cross or or something to where based on what the defense is giving you, there's an opportunity for a receiver to come open. I just really didn't see that in the passing game. Uh, I, I felt like they they made it super difficult on the quarterback and. Uh, also, you know, the protection didn't hold up as well as it could have based on scheme. Um, so all of those things, I just really think that the offense was poorly conceived at times overall. I thought it was pretty, would seem to be, for lack of a better phrase, constipated. Like they couldn't get out of their own way. I just, I, I, I thought it was just a, a an incoherent offense uh, just overall. I, I didn't think that they deployed their personnel well. I think they went out and signed these players. Uh, you know, Will Fuller, uh, Braxton Miller. You, you know, had Steven Anderson. Uh, I mean, and the only person that they could get the ball to was C.J. Fedorowicz. I mean, it just really. And don't get me wrong, I really appreciated their development and use and deployment of C.J. Fedorowicz. But at the same time, you got all these weapons that you supposedly went out and and made a priority to acquire and you can't get the ball in any of their hands and you can't, you know, you can't maximize their potential. You took a 1500 yard wide receiver and he barely had a thousand, didn't even make it to a thousand yards this year. So, um, and, and, and again, then too, 
how how did you come up with Brock Osweiler as your best option as a quarterback? And once you did that, how did you how how were you using him and and able to best suit his skill set? That obviously was a big huge blunder and, and big debacle. So just overall, I put all of that at the feet of the, the offensive coaching um, and evaluation and planning. I just I, I really feel it was totally unsuccessful. How much of, you, of that do you think is Rick Smith picking guys that don't fit Bill O'Brien's scheme and system? Because it seems like that that might might have been an issue. It, it doesn't feel like Brock Osweiler is exactly what he saw as a quarterback for his system. And also, when you look at some of the other players, you know, if Bill O'Brien wants to play a smash mouth football, why did you go out and get a running back like Lamar Miller to do that? Because that's definitely not what he is. That is the million dollar question right there. I mean, I, I just don't, I just don't know. And I've, I've been what many would, would consider a, a Rick Smith advocate with regard to his procuring talent. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I try to look at things objectively as to what, what are the results that are produced from whatever acquisition it might be. And I mean, things like the, exactly what you say, the fact of if they're going to run the ball and want to run lead plays and want to run off to or, you know, off guard plays and, and um, lead draws and all those types of plays where you're basically running the ball downhill with linemen in man blocking schemes. I, I I don't know, and I do think there's a degree of wastefulness to to targeting a Lamar Miller. Um, with regard to some of the other uh, their other options on offense, their other targets like a Will Fuller or like a Braxton Miller or um, C.J. Fedora, so forth and so on. I think those players, I mean, talent is talent. I think those are players that that I would have had them select regardless of which scheme that they were running on offense in particular. I just, I believe there's some talented players. Um, and and I, I, I put it at the feet of O'Brien to kind of deploy that talent. But I, I do think that the conflict, the, the evident conflict between Rick Smith and O'Brien, oh, Bill, Bill O'Brien is palpable. I think you can tell that there's, you know, some, some um, round hole square peg type of, of, you know, collaboration happening with those two um and and it's it's worrisome um i i just i kind of really don't know who to lay blame on because i'm just not privy to you know what decisions were made by whom or what the level of disagreement was or what the terms of the disagreement was i i also kind of with specifically with regard to brock osweiler i was never a fan of the concept of going out and getting him so you know, the fact that that blew up in their faces, it, it kind of it's one of those things where I, I just I, I just kind of shake my head and like, oh, my God, why, why did this have to work out the way that I prayed that it wouldn't, but figured that it would. But I, I really feel like that was a move that was put on to the administration on both sides by the McNairs. I mean, you can hear in Rick Smith talking about the move, McNair putting the pressure on them to acquire a quarterback. And it almost seemed like if there, you know, as long as it was somebody that was um, barely credible or, or just at least they could say, Hey, we went out and got a quarterback that, you know, on some level was reasonably credible. That's what they wanted. Um, And Rick Smith 
he didn't make that make that happen. He did, you know, make the necessary transaction to bring a quarterback here that supposedly was, you know, reputable or supposedly was qualified for the job. Now, how those qualifications or what they were, I mean, we see that they were insufficient. And I I, I don't I really find it, you know, worrisome that they thought that this, you know, that this was the, the direction that they chose. Um, and, and the way that it worked out, I just, I don't think it could have gone any worse. Um, I, and, but I, I also find it hard to believe that this was something that O'Brien fought against tooth and nail and with the, his contract and his status as the head coach being what it was at the time that he was hired and the amount of stroke that he has within the organization, I find it very hard to fathom that if he really was resistant to the idea that it would have been done, uh, you know, without any, you know, above his head and just say, Hey, we're going to, this is what you're going to get. I find that hard to believe. So I, I, I put that holistically on the organization altogether. I don't, I don't parse out the blame for that on one O'Brien or Smith or any other, other than the fact that the McNairs were desperate. Bob and Cal basically put it at their feet to get a quarterback, and they went and got whatever option they could that seemed credible, and it, of course, was an epic failure. That was just the first half of my interview with Twitter legend Big Ron. We're not done yet. We get into Tom Savage and his analysis of the O-line in the second half of this one, which you'll hear on Monday. If you aren't already, make sure to follow Big Ron 281 on Twitter. Before I close this one out, though, just want to remind you guys to check out my Houston Sports Talk podcast where I hit on everything going on in Houston sports, Rockets, Astros, Cougars, everything that you'd want to hear. This week we talked Aggies with Rivals.com's Courtney Rowland and Longhorns with CBS Austin Sports Director Bob Ballou. If you're new to the show, Locked on Texans, we give you a daily supply of Texans information and interviews. It's all part of the Locked On Network, a podcast, a show for every NFL and NBA team. Subscribe to Locked On Rockets with Ben DuBose if you love your Red Nation. You can listen to us by subscribing on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or our Locked On Texans audio boom website. If you got something you want me to talk about, email me at LockedOnTexans at mail.com or go to Locked On Texans on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful weekend. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah. <laughs>